In this episode, we talk about your workplace environment and culture. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists and your fellow trauma nerds, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to episode 35 of the Polyvagal Podcast. For the Polyvagal superfans out there, we've got announcements and a homework assignment for you after the episode main topic. Plus, we also have an audio clip from one of your fellow superfans. Ooh, I love those. But before we get into things, put yourself first. We say this every episode, but it's really important, guys. We want to make sure that we keep every episode as safe as we can, but... Just by the nature of what we're talking about, you might experience some stuff come up. So if you need to, take care of yourself, take a break, get some water, do what you need to do. We will be right here waiting for you when you get back. So we're talking about the polyvagal theory and the workplace. Why are we doing that? Because I think it's, well, first and foremost, because people have asked for it, myself (laughs) included. But more importantly, because I think, um, I don't know if people think about this, but we spend a lot of time in the workplace there. We spend so much of our lives at work and this affects our nervous systems. This affects who we are as people. And, and if it affects our nervous system, then subsequently it's going to affect the rest of our lives. And so I think for myself, and I assume for you as well, Justin, we kind of wanted to talk about this and bring, you know, the polyvagal lens onto it and kind of inspect it a little bit that way and kind of talk about, you know, how, how this is impacting our lives. I think um, one of the major ways that that work affects our lives is the stories that we create about it and, you know, the narratives that we have about work and about who we are as people because of our workplace um, interactions and also, you know, the relationship patterns and lots of different things. So I'm really intrigued by this, by this topic. It does. It really does affect our nervous system. And I know we carry it home with us as well. Yes. I know um, after I get off work, I definitely have it in my car, you know, in me, in my car as I pick up my kids. And um, yeah, when we get home, I'm still kind of feeling whatever. And now I've got the kids with me, so which kind of adds on to whatever, you know, stress level or sympathetic stuff I have going on or shut down at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is it absolutely. We're, we're at work for a long time. It's a big chunk of our day. So of course it affects us. Yeah. Well, and not just a long time in the day, but a long time in our lives. Do you know what I mean? Like, because by the time a person retires, they've been working for what, 40, 50 years. I don't know. I'm not doing the math on that, but a good chunk of their lives. So we have the standard safety and danger cues like we talked about way long ago in the school polyvagal school series like the sounds of your environment that might be a danger cue or even a safety cue uh, the proximity that you have with working next to other people or maybe if there's a whole bunch of people walking together like in a school you're next to other people you know like it's the proximity issues or if your cubicle is like you share a little space with someone else or whatever your workplace environment's like or, or even just a cubicle super... by itself i'm sorry to cut you off oh yeah like that's even right, the yeah, fact yeah. that if you work in a cubicle yeah i would yeah. die I wouldn't be able to handle you've it. In, you've never worked in a cubicle? I've never had a cubicle, no. Oh, wow. I've had small enclosed... Well, that sounds like the same, a cubicle as a small enclosed space. <laughs> I, when I was in college, I worked as the... Um, what's that person? Like, you know, there's like the front desk, you know, like the dormitories, right? At, at the college dorms. And I worked at the front desk where we kept like the pool balls and the pool sticks and the VCR because that's how old I am. So that people could like rent it out and borrow it for the day. And so that was a small enclosed space, but it was, you know, glass and. Yes, yeah, that's not a cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
I worked in one place that had a cubicle and it was as a therapist and we had our own desks that were divided by cubicles. Oh no. And at one point we had a large cubicle that we shared with three other people. And luckily I had a cubicle that was three out of four of us were in a good, safe social place and we really connected oh, for the most part. See, that's nice. And one, one out of the four was not, <laughs> which kind of threw things <laughs> off. But that all it takes is one person really it does, you, That's true, it does. You know? Yeah. So there's, you know, sounds of the environment, proximity or lack of proximity with other people. The lighting, uh, what kind of, if it's too bright, is there direct sunlight coming in? Like what kind of danger cues or not coming in? Uh, temperature of the environment. Right now, if you work... So I think there's a big difference. If you work for like a government organization, like a <laughs> nonprofit or a school or a county agency or whatever it is, your work environment is, I think it's different. Like, especially if talking to other therapists that might be listening, like their private practice True. environment is not going to match our True. government environment. <laughs> So, yeah, part of that is temperature. <laughs> we used to be in a room that was um, freezing at it all times, right? It was a refrigerator. Right? I literally had a blanket in my desk. Like, I, I had a literal blanket. L- mini heaters. Yes. Yeah, and so all these things, are they, they take us out of our safe social place. It, or it can, it can. Um, but, yeah, the, even, like, in the winter, AC is just going. Like, it's just constantly on. And uh, But, you know, there's things like that. But we work for the school environment. We've worked at nonprofits and county agencies and whatnot and there might be rats there might be cockroaches every now and again other assorted critters <laughs> i picked up a few dead cockroaches uh just last week you did you picked up a cockroach for me because i look even if they're dead i'm not going to touch them because what if they like those suckers are tricky and they come alive and they've been dead for three days and then all of a sudden you touch it to pick it up and it comes alive well you, you if you name it bob you've built an attachment with it also, I named I it Larry is what I named it oh was it Larry I'm sorry <laughs> and then I heard from a coworker that they saw a rat in the, dude so you know these things happen that are going to send you out of your safe and social state yes depending on the environment that you work in obviously we know by now that these things are going to be cues of danger more sympathetically charging they're going to make you want to run away or possibly get aggressive and fight back um, depending on what it is And that's going to take you out of your safe and social state. I don't know about you, dear listener, but sometimes I'm sitting at work and I'm thinking like, why the heck am I feeling so grumpy or so confused or so out of it or whatever? And I'm not saying it's 100% of the time this, but it can be some of these things that Justin was just talking about. Sounds, lighting, temperature, smells. I was Forced socialization with coworkers. Forced socialization. Sometimes... How many potlucks can there be? (laughs) How many cards do i have to sign <laughs> or when coworkers just won't stop sending you these funny memes even though they're really no funny by the way look let's, let's clear <laughs> oh god let's clear the air here when when, when you when someone <laughs> emails everybody oh gosh and you want to reply to that person just hit reply not reply all can we not right now this That's is it. not what the podcast is about <laughs> I had to put that out there. I, don't, I disagree. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I don't need to know. This is what your the own is. personal pet peeve. Uh, yeah. If you're feeling wonky at work, it's you know if if you've learned to kind of if you build this awareness, if you understand that certain sounds or smells or the way the sun is hitting the window or whatever thing, if this is affecting your nervous system, it's good to know that 
because then sometimes there's something that you can do about it to help yourself feel better, to help yourself feel well, to to bring your nervous system back up the ladder, if it means closing the curtain or opening the curtain. And that's the difference between having a good day or a bad day at work. I think that's a big deal. So the people that we work with, um, this is a big one. So at first I was going to lump it together with the sounds and proximity and all of this stuff, but I feel like the people is a whole separate category by itself because put a bunch of nervous systems in a room together and man, like that's a social experiment, right? It, there's a whole lot of stuff happening at the same time. So when we're talking about people, there's a couple different things we can think about. You can think about the, the people that you work with or the people that you work for. So if we're thinking about the people that you work with, think about if you're working alone or in a team, this is definitely going to change your nervous system and how your nervous system is reacting to the environment, especially, you know, depending on your own personality. I used to have my own private practice and as much as I loved having my own space and my own stuff that I, you know, I decorated how I wanted it to be, I really, really missed having that interaction with other people. And so I love working on a team. So when I'm talking about, you know, thinking about working alone or in a team, I think that matters a lot as far as your workplace. I, I couldn't I couldn't feel satisfied. My nervous system would not feel safe and social if I was alone all the time. Noticing how your nervous system, not you, but like how the listener's nervous system in particular responds to how many people they're with, who they're with, if they're alone, yeah. So looking at the people that we work with, thinking about if the environment that we're working in is an environment of collaboration or one that's more of competition. Because I've definitely worked, so I was saying a minute ago that I love working in a team. But I've also worked in environments where we're a team, like there's multiple people working together, but it's definitely a competitive environment where, where people are trying to one-up each other. And that's not something that for me personally works because I, I don't need to feel better or worse. Is than it I'm, hard for you that I'm the best? Oh, so you don't mind that I'm the best. Okay. Well, <laughs> if we worked in a competitive environment, that would be very difficult for me. Yes. Yes. My nervous system would not feel safe. I think the stories thing is really significant. Like it's important to recognize that. But listener, what I would ask you to do is to ask yourself, is the story that I have about my boss or any coworker really, not just the people you work for, I think, but the people you work with as well. Do my stories reflect reality or do my stories reflect the state that I'm in? Say, say it's a fact. Say every single person in the workplace agrees that my boss is a blankety blank. But my story about myself and my work environment and my boss will be different depending on my nervous system, right? So if I am in a safe and social place, maybe my story is my boss is a blankety blank and nevertheless, I'm going to get my job done and I'm going to oh, yeah. rock it yeah, yeah, yeah. versus my boss is a blankety blank and my nervous system is in a, you know, whatever, shutdown state or whatever place. And so yeah. my boss is a blankety blank and that's why I suck at work, you know? I think the stories that we have about our employers, not just the supervisor, but the agency also, that affects how we feel in the workplace. I used to work for an agency that I really, I really, really believed in the, their mission statement. You know, the, it was a nonprofit and they had this mission statement and I really believed it. I, I loved it. I thought it was really fantastic. It was a really, I just, I really believed in it. But I struggled working there for other, just other reasons, other factors. I had too many clients on my caseload. It felt, 
you know, borderline unethical where I couldn't provide appropriate levels of treatment for all my clients. But I really, really believed in what the agency stood for. And so I think I, I, I stayed there for longer than maybe I would have if, if the agency's mission was something different. If the mission statement of the agency that you work for doesn't align with how you see the world or what you want to put into the world or put into the workplace, then that might not be a great place for you. That might really be affecting your nervous system in a big way. Some other things that might affect your nervous system state while you're at work are cues of safety, like being greeted. When you go into work, are you being greeted? Is someone saying hello? Are they happy to see you? Uh, Feeling comfortable? Is it a welcoming, comfortable space? Do you feel valued at work? Do you feel like your boss cares that you're present or that you're providing something unique to your work site? And do you feel like you're part of a team? Um, Do you feel acknowledged? Do you feel like you're being paid fairly? Do you feel like you're being considered that that your opinion matters? All of these things are cues of safety. I think that's huge because I know, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, I'm excited to go to work. I, I'm happy to go to the place that I work. I love what I do. I could do this in a lot of places. And if I'm being really specific about myself, right, like me personally, I have to drive 40, 45 minutes every single day to and from work. But I love it. I, it doesn't bother me to go there. And it's because of all these things that you said, you know, I, I go to work and I know that people are going to smile when they see me there's going to be camaraderie there. There's going to be support. If I have a hard day, people are going to ask me how I'm doing. How can they help? You know, I can expect all of these things at my job right now. And that feels fantastic. I think we're both lucky we work in a place that we don't dread going to. Mm -hmm. The last time I felt like that was probably when I worked at a art and framing store, unnamed. And at the same time, I was working at a video game store. Both of them were part-time. Both of them were like, 575 an hour, 625, something like that. Gosh. And I hated go even though I love art and I loved at the time video games, I hated going into those. I just didn't feel valuable. I didn't feel valued whatsoever. I was just doing going through the motions. And if there's no creativity, I have a hard time with that. I've had I I've had a job where I I didn't have to commute nearly as much as I do now. It was maybe 15, 20 minutes on the freeway. And there were days that I'd be crying in the car on the way to work. I dreaded Dang, it. Really? Yes. I dreaded it. I my supervisor there and and the environment like the physical environment like my office was physically segregated from the rest of the office it was really strange and that wasn't intent like it wasn't like mercedes is like you know banish but it just it felt weird it it felt unwelcoming to me there was a lot of factors but my point is like that makes a difference and i you know that was a long time ago i've been you know i was a different person back then but definitely my story then compared to my story now about myself and just where I lived on the ladder back then was so, so different. All of these little things, they really make a difference. Yeah. Well, the, so the other thing to consider is the culture of your workplace, your work site, wherever it is you work, the culture of it. Does your workplace value and promote co-regulation in particular? I think it's for polylegal reasons is a pretty big one. Um, does, so does it value supporting each other? Does it Put, does it somehow prioritize that and give time to it or give space for that? And I think as therapists, we have that sort of built in. I think a lot of time, not all the time. Yeah. That's not true, actually, for all, not all the time. No, that's not true. I think therapists are more likely to do that, but that doesn't mean that our work site prioritizes that. 
That's something we have to create for each other. I This is something that really intrigues me because you just said it. Like, I'm a therapist, so I work with therapists. And I wonder, and you're right, like, it doesn't automatically assume that it's going to be like a warm, welcoming environment. But it it's interesting to me to know that other people don't have a place where they can... I'm jumping ahead, but I'm going to like humor, humor in, in the workplace as a way to cope. If I couldn't crack a joke at work, I, I'd be miserable. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. And there, it, it's inter- it just intrigues me so much that there are places where people are not encouraged to talk with each other and are not encouraged to support each other. It, it blows me away. And I don't know what those places are because I only do the thing that I do. But. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, we know, we know that, I think we know that like, the police in general is not a place that values, I'm sorry, it's not a job that values co-regulation like we're talking about, like safety and gentleness and opening up and talking about stuff. They definitely have a way to cope and to co-regulate with each other, but it's not the same way I think that we're thinking of. But like what we'll hear from police when we presented them, they said that we have our own brand of humor. And I think that uh, police therapists have our own brand of humor nurses have their own way like their own humor that is not funny to anybody else right (laughs) but within that culture of nursing like it's a very dark kind of humor but they get they get it and that's their way of dealing and coping and of letting off some sympathetic energies through laughter i I would assume that a lot of places have ways of coping and of, of kind of releasing that energy but that's different than like actual like self care you know going out and drinking after work is not exactly self care does your workplace encourage actual, like, if you need a day off to take care of yourself, do they, are, is that allowed? Is there time budgeted for that? Um, or to take care of your kids or to go to their play or recital or whatever? Or do you have coworkers that are looking to support each other emotionally, not just through laughter and coping, but like emotionally supporting someone and working their way up the polyvagal ladder ultimately through co-regulation? I think there's definitely, if we're talking about self-care specifically, I think there's definitely places that encourage the opposite. And so I don't know what the label for that would be, but where in our environment, self-care is encouraged. Take care of yourself, take care of your family. Yeah. I, you know, I've heard about places where it's like, go, go, go and, and, and keep pushing yourself. And it doesn't matter that you're tired or, and it doesn't matter that such and such thing is happening in your life. You still have to go. You still have to meet the deadline. And that sounds dreadful to me. I think therapists work in those kinds of environments also. If you work for a, an agency where you have a grant and you have to meet certain percentages or whatever, like that's that applies to therapists also. So I think you mentioned the opposite of self-care. To me, the opposite of self-care might be that sort of like toxic environment where gossip is encouraged, not maybe overtly encouraged, but it's just part of the culture of the atmosphere. So gossip and complaining um, talking trash about each other, like little clicks between coworkers or amongst coworkers. Um, I personally have zero tolerance for that kind of stuff. I, li- I literally like will lose interest when it comes to gossiping or complaining. I'm just like, I have no interest in it whatsoever. So, but the, to me, that's, that might be the opposite of what we're talking about is really like, there's, it's like this anti self care in a way. And that you're actually just using that energy to sort of for, to like bury yourself further into it. I think if you're in a sympathetically charged and you're complaining and gossiping and that's like your go-to as a way to cope, all you're doing is burying yourself further in that sympathetic state. Like you're not really working your way up the ladder whatsoever. Now people are piling on and 
really joining you in that, like they're aligning with you or, or um, attuning, they're attuning to that state of yours, but that's not, no one's really co-regulating or offering co-regulation to, to their coworker. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that is maybe anti-self-care or anti-support is, is having a really strict hierarchy. And I think every workplace has a hierarchy, but I think you could have a hierarchy where someone's viewpoint is valued. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in our workplace environment, there's a hierarchy, but everyone has something to bring to the table. Everyone is a part of a team and is welcome to contribute and to have ideas versus a hierarchy that's commanding and disrespectful to the people down the hierarchy. Definitely. I like that. A respectful hierarchy. Yeah. Well, everyone has a role. Yeah. You know, everyone, no matter what, everyone has a role. Everyone contributes in, some, in one way or another and is, uh, is valuable to the culture of the workplace as a whole. So what are we saying here? Are we just asking people to think about, like, to think about their workplace? Yeah, yeah. I think I would ask people to notice how, they, how their system's responding to the things in the environment, but also to the people in the environment, but also to your place in the hierarchy. And also like on a deeper level, like the mission statement and does that align with your own personal values? I think all these things might get you out of a safe and social state if it doesn't, if it's not supportive or doesn't align with your own personal values. But then I also notice like, how do you feel about people gossiping? Are you part of the clicks? Are you part of the complaining? Or does your stories or do your complaints come from your own stuff? Or is it actually a reflection of what needs to change in your environment? Is it accurate to the environment or is it just about you using your sympathetic energy to complain? So we're asking you to be more aware of your environment. We do have a homework assignment that's going to tie directly into that. Before that, we have announcements. You have a big interview coming up, Justin. Yes, I do. It's Irene Lyon. Uh, We talked for, she donated two hours of her time to the Polyvagal podcast and we covered a ton of stuff. That'll be happening that will be dropping in two weeks. We covered like parenting. We covered what makes a, uh, a killer. We covered um, changing your nervous system state in public. Like we covered a lot of stuff. It was this really free flow, nonstop conversation. It was, she, she was pretty awesome. So in two weeks, Irene Lyon will be gracing the Polyvagal Podcast listeners with her insight. She's, she's awesome. I'm intrigued and interested. So your homework assignment for the week is to help contribute to your workplace environment and making it a more positive, more co-regulating, more supportive workplace by just saying hi to someone new at work. I think those little things, Mercedes, I think those little things can make go a long way. Just going out of your way to say hello to someone and offer your gentle eye contact can go a long way in that person's day. I really believe that. Absolutely. So we're asking them to do that once, but if you do it daily... I think it picks up steam. I really do. I think start with once, and then if it feels okay, do it again. We have an audio clip from one of your fellow superfans. Her name, we are not sure how to pronounce. It's either Tanya or Tanya. Tanya. In the email, she says that both A's are making the A-A-A-H sound. But is that ah uh-huh. or is that ah? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say Tanya. I'm so sorry, Tanya. Tanya. I'm saying Tanya. You're saying Tanya. Okay, yeah. so one of those is one probably right. One of those right. has to be right. 
So she sent us this um, amazing audio clip that we're going to play. It's a couple minutes long. I wanted to leave a lot of this in. I did some editing, but I want to leave a lot in because I think a lot of you could probably relate to this. Hi, Justin and Mercedes. I just wanted to tell you that you guys are providing, to some of us, you're providing a cool drink of water because we've been stranded in a desert for years. Like, I couldn't describe how I was feeling because I couldn't identify emotions, and I'm still learning. But scientific terms, I can understand, and I can now equate them to the description of emotions that people feel. I literally just figured out that my first time feeling joy was when I had my daughter 17 years ago. But I wanted to let you guys know that every single podcast that you guys feature, just like Dr. Nicole, is so integral to me in person that helps and heals my family. I'm grateful for that. You have given me a fresh cup of water. And I don't know how you would feel if you were just the guy and girl with jugs of amazing water the only ones and then you find that one person stuck in the desert like you should feel good about that you found that person that needed it and that's what you dr nicole jill everybody is doing it and i really appreciate you guys i love the fact that you're nerds for this for me one of those people that can't identify emotions and none of my family can None of them. I'm the first one to find it. Loving everything I'm finding out. And I love the information, the content, the intentions. Just so authentic. And it just completely aligns with everything I believe. And that's rare. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have literally helped me find my purpose in life. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Tanya. you so much, Tanya. We really, really do appreciate it. We do accept your gratitude. That's something we've worked on. But what's funny is that she sent in another audio clip, which kind of called me out a little bit in a safe way. I think it came, comes from love. It comes from a good place where she kind of calls me out a little bit. Um, there was an episode where at the end of it, I mentioned that I don't feel like I've done a whole lot because I was thanking people for you know, the success I've seen on Instagram, but also that we've seen on the podcast here. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't feel like I've done a whole lot. And so in this clip, well, she, you can listen to it here. Justin said, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that special. So maybe in feeling that as a gentle observer in not feeling that it identifies something you know, that maybe you should explore or maybe consider exploring. You guys told you guys are the ones that told me that accepting gratitude is important. You know, it kind of takes the wind out of the sail of the person that wants to give gratitude when you just say, oh, I don't think I'm doing anything so special. So we agree. Of course, accepting gratitude is important. And I can accept her gratitude. No problem, right? You're good. You can accept her gratitude? I can accept it. I love it. Thank you so much. And like I know when we listened to this, we, we were so, we listened to it together. We were so genuinely touched by it. So we totally can accept that. That's not a problem whatsoever. Right. But whether or not 
I or you also talk about me, whether or not I feel accomplished is something else. You know, whether I feel success or like I'm doing much, that's different. But I think that's a conversation for another time. Actually, you know what I think we'll do is let's talk this out and then we'll have it on uh, on the members website, justinlmft.com slash members, where they can listen to us kind of break down why, or the pieces of why, maybe we'll even figure this out, why I don't feel accomplished or feel like I've done a whole lot, even though I know it's affecting a lot of people. So we'll break that down and people can check it out at justinlmft.com slash members. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. We hope you've learned some new ways to connect with others or even with yourself. Bye. Bye. Sometimes if you're sitting at work and you just feel kind of wonkety, it's good to be aware of this stuff. That's a scientific word. Wonky has become wonkety. Wonky slash wonkety. It's, okay. it's evolved like a Pokemon. <laughs>